me. Y'all got to give me a second. Gather things up. Let's just pray. Father God, I just love coming together as the church and worshiping together. And just the heart of worship is worshiping you and praising you for what you have done for us. Sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Even though we didn't deserve it, you did it. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word this morning that we're challenged and we understand what you're calling us to do and that we're not sitting back and watching others be in the church, but we, as the body of Christ, will be unified and be the church you've called us to be. Well, I pray right now uh, that through this time you would just allow me to get out of the way and you speak through me, Lord. Don't allow any words I say today be words that I say, but let it be words that you say. Lord, thank you for all you do for us, and I pray. Amen. If you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, so, this message that I'm going to be presenting today is definitely, uh, as it should be, all the time. But this is something that God gave to me, because I'm going to be honest with you. In the flesh, this week when I found out that I was, um, possibility of me preaching, uh, I didn't want to do it. Uh, because just, uh, I just didn't feel like that I wanted to do it. So I tried to find excuses to get out of it to be honest with you guys. However, um, as I was studying scripture and I was looking at this, God made it very plain that you know what, you're getting the opportunity to preach and I want you to preach this specific message. So today, this message and the words that he gave me was challenge accepted, right? Because I felt like that I couldn't give this message today because, uh, because I fail so much in what we're talking about today. I think we all do. So today, I want you to ask yourself the question, have you ever faced a challenge and you had to decide whether it was worth it or not? So two things that I think of that'll be challenges for me will be number one, climbing this mountain. Now this is Mount Everest, right? Some brave souls every single year decide, you know what, I'm going to trek up this thing. Now I don't know where in the world they get that awesome idea. But they decide we're going to go up this thing. And a lot of times people don't make it up. It is so challenging that sometimes on the way up the mountain they actually end up dying before they get up there. But it's a challenge when you go at it. You've got to be ready for the challenge. You've got to know what you're facing before you go into it. Another thing that I thought of was running a triathlon. Another thing, I could probably do the biking, not the swimming. No way. Running if I walked, maybe. All right, there's no way I can do the whole thing right now. So it takes a lot of physical strength and a lot of endurance to accomplish both of these. Now, with this, we look at those and say, well, yeah, those are challenging. And a lot of times we make our Christian walks just as challenging. As Christians, we have been given a challenge as well. One of the most well-known verses in Scripture is Matthew 28, 16-20, which is the Great Commission, which says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always and to the ends of the age. And so here they are gathered, the 11 disciples, because Judas at this point was, was gone. Uh, the 11 disciples gathered where Jesus told them to gather. And the disciples went to the place where Jesus had directed them. Now, think about for a second. How many of you have ever played a game or something? You're facing a challenge and you get to the final step. And you're like, okay, I just got to get to this final level, this final step, and I'm going to be successful. This is what the disciples were thinking. They're thinking that Jesus is about to give them their final thing, and then Jesus is going to come back and restore Israel right now. So they thought Jesus had done all the work, and then it was done. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So Jesus, at this point, says the Father has given all authority, and he gives the commands to the disciples. And it actually makes it pretty simple, right? Jesus has walked with the disciples. He's taught them what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. And so now he gives them a pretty easy thing in context. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them. And he says, know this, I am with you until the end of the age. And so he gave them three things. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have commanded you. And then he ends it, I am with you until the ends of the age. Now, I talked about earlier about climbing a mountain. Now, I've done some research on this, and supposedly when you go up and you're climbing a mountain, there's usually a guide with you. Okay, and that guide usually knows the trek and what you're going on. So they're able to tell you what to watch out for. They tell you what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. And so as you're climbing up this mountain, Okay, there's always a guide there telling you what to do. A lot of times, when we go out and try to accomplish the Great Commission, we put all the pressure on ourselves. I have to go out right now, and I've got to lead people to Christ. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But God says, I am with you until the end of the age. And so as we're going out and we're doing the Great Commission, a lot of times we forget that the Spirit is what speaks through us. We make it so hard on ourselves. And what happens is when things get hard in our life, a lot of times we just give up. Or we find the easy way out. And so in this case, when we're called to do the Great Commission, the easy way out would be, well, I'm just going to do it when it's convenient for me or when it's easier for me. But when we actually go out and do it, we choose a lot of times not to do it. And so think about for a second, the disciples started going up and they're excited about what Jesus is saying, but now the challenge is about to come. Because now Jesus is leaving them, who had been with them, is now leaving them, going back to be the Father in heaven, and now the challenge was about to come. For the first time in three years, the disciples were going to be spreading the gospel without Jesus. And so the disciples are about to see something that we struggle with on a daily basis. Here's the challenge we face. We love to walk with God and say we're walking with God. But we hate it when it's an inconvenience to our lives. And so how do we do this? How do we live a life 
where we're walking with God daily and we're filled with so much joy with what God has filled us with that we're so excited to go out and spread the gospel. I think a lot of us in here are like Moses. Moses has many excuses, right? And when we sin, we often make excuses while we have sinned. We're like, well, you know, if this wasn't happening, I wouldn't have sinned. Or I was afraid this will happen, so I told a lie. So I would, I would just, it's, you know, it's not really a sin. We start justifying these sins. But we do the same way when we're told to go uh, to spread the gospel. We make excuses. Well, I have a speech impediment. Or I've got to get my kids here and get them there. I don't have time to spread the gospel. Or I don't know enough, so I'm not going to go and do it. We use all these different excuses. But God commands us to go. But we often make excuses as to why we can't go. Turn to Exodus chapter 4. In this time, God has appeared to Moses, telling him, this is in Exodus 3, telling him he was going to use him to free the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. And so Moses was given this opportunity. God had chosen him for this specific purpose. And instead of saying, yes, God, I'm going to go back where I just ran from and you're going to use me to free the Israelites, he decides, nah, I'm going to do everything I can to get out of this. And so when we pick up in uh, Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses' response. He says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it and became a staff in his hand. And they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So look at Moses' first excuse. If I go, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that the Lord sent me back to rescue them. They have been in captivity for so long. Moses is like, if I go back and tell them this, they're going to think I'm crazy. So Moses says, they're not going to believe me. And so in verse 1, he says, they won't believe that the Lord has appeared to me. So then what does Jesus do? He shows him a sign, right? It's pretty obvious. He takes Moses' staff, turns it into a serpent, and back to his staff again. Now, I'll be like Moses. If I had my staff and I laid it down, it turned to a snake, I'm running away too, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to deal with that. But... Here's the thing. Moses shows a little bit of obedience here because God says, pick it up by the tail. And I'll be honest with you. If I was told to pick it up by the tail, I'm like, God, you're crazy. I'm not touching that snake. But Moses is obedient, picks it up by the tail, and the staff is made to a staff again. But he continues on. In verse 6, he says, And again the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. We're seeing God. Okay, is giving Moses every reason to show him, listen, all you got to go is be obedient. I'll take care of it. Just do what I say and allow me to work through you. We see in verse 6 and 7, Moses puts his hands in his cloak, takes it out. He's got leprosy on his hand. And then he puts it back in 
and he's healed. And he says, God says this will be another sign to the people that God appeared to you. And then he says, if that's not enough, I've already given you two, but if that's not enough, take water from the Nile, pour it out on dry ground, and when it goes in the ground, it will turn to blood. And so, excuse one, when he says, they will not believe me, God gives Moses three signs. And a lot of times, God does that in our lives too. Right? We'll come up with an excuse, and God will give us signs, and it's still not good enough. We're like, nope, still ain't going to do it. And so, this is exactly what Moses does too. Moses does this. He makes excuse number two. I do not speak well. He says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made the the man's mouth? Also makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now, we see here, Moses has some sort of speech impediment, okay? When I was growing up, I actually stuttered really bad. I still stutter a lot when I'm nervous or I speak fast or I'm speechless. Yeah, see, all the youth are like, yeah, it happens. Yep. And, but you know what? I don't allow this to be an excuse to speak, though, right? But Moses is using it as an as uh, excuse here. And so God responds in a great way. He says, who made your mouth? Who made you able to speak? Who gave you everything that, that you're talking about that you is a struggle? I gave that to you to be used. And so God responds, who created you to speak and to communicate? And then God says, go, I will be your mouth. But Moses responds, still not satisfied with this. In verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, is there not... Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and he shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. And so Moses says, please send someone else. Right? You give me all these signs. And so now... It's like, despite what God's telling him, Moses is like, I'm honestly just, I'm, I'm too scared to do this. I can't do this. And so no matter what God said or did, Moses was trying to find everything to get rid, I mean, sorry, to get out of being obedient. Now, Lord, the, the Lord here, God, out of frustration, answers comprom- and compromises with Moses. So even though God's will is going to be done, he showed him all this sign. God's like, okay, fine. Send Aaron. I know he speaks well. So he has the final word here. And God says, how about your brother Aaron? No matter what we do, understand this, we're never going to be able to escape the will of God. If God is calling us to do something, no matter how hard we try to get out of it, his will is still going to be accomplished. So, a lot of times, once we become a believer in Christ, at that moment... We're called to the Great Commission. We're called to reach others for Christ. But unfortunately, the church has become what we do and not who we are. It's become something that we gather together, but we're not going out and being the church. Turn now to Acts chapter 1. The establishment of the church. You see, God, uh, sorry, Jesus ascends into heaven... 
and says, go, I'm going to send a helper to help you. And once that helper comes, you'll be able to go to all the nations and proclaim the gospel. And so now the disciples are gathered and they believe that the end has come. They believe that now is the end. God's going to come back very soon and restore the nation of Israel. So we pick up in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so they came together, were wondering if Jesus at that time was going to restore Israel. Now they were anticipating that Jesus would complete his work, and he did. But understand this, there was still, uh, as the disciples still had a part in this, right? Now that I'm leaving, you're now going to go and proclaim the gospel. And so um, in verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so they thought right then and there that he was going to restore and come back and everything will be made new again. But he says, it is not the time yet. It is not for you to know when I will return. And then he gives the command. In verse 8, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only this, you will be my witnesses to all of the earth. And just like that, as soon as he said that, he was gone. And their teacher, who they had learned under, was gone and left in a cloud to heaven. Now, when I'm studying this, what I'm very fascinated by is we, as a group, would probably say we can do better at spreading the gospel, making disciples. Some of us would say, I need to do it because I'm not doing it at all. But where would our faith, where would Christianity be if the early disciples did not go and spread the gospel? If they decided at that moment... I'm too scared, or I can't do this, where would Christianity be today? Because if they were, if they were a lot like us, and just made all these excuses to not go, where would it be today? Now, soon after this, they were gathered around Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So let's stop for one second. So they were all together in one place. Okay, there's, there's, um, we don't really know how many were there, but we know a lot were there because later on we'll, we'll find out how many were brought to Christ that day. But there was a lot gathered, okay? So not sure how many were gathered, but there were people there from every nation during that time. So the Holy Spirit comes upon the people who were gathered there. And it says, all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now I understand here, um, and I'm not going to go too much into this, but there is the supernatural gift of tongues, and then there's these tongues, okay? There's a difference. Here, what's referring to in the original Greek is known languages, the tongues in which the people that were gathered there. Okay, so understand this. So what they were doing, they were speaking in languages that wasn't their own. So it would be like, we're all gathered together, 
Holy Spirit comes upon us, bam, and then I'm able to speak Spanish or somebody's able to speak French. Uh, but again, notice they were hearing languages being, their language being spoken by somebody they know that didn't speak their language. And their response to this was they were amazed. Notice their response. They weren't questioning what was going on. They were amazed. And so in verse 8 it says, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. How are we hearing this? This is, this is impossible. Verse 9, and you got to bear with me because I'm not really good with the, uh, the names of nations. So if, if I mess some up, you can laugh. It's okay. Parthians and Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. You don't have to laugh that loud, okay? Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, I'm no, I know I butchered a lot of those names, and I do apologize for that, but I, I tried, okay? So, list of all the nations that were gathered there, and these were all the different languages that were being spoken, okay? Verse 12. It says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they're all like, whoa, this is awesome. Never seen this before. What does this mean? But verse 13, others mocking said they're filled with new wine. They said they got to be drunk. The way they're acting, they got to be drunk. And so there were those who were amazed, but others were mocking. How do we react to those who mock? Because there were some there they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They knew it was from God. And there were others who were like, oh, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? They were mocking them. And a lot of times, we separate ourselves from them. Right? And so, but understand, these are the ones God is calling us to. They're gathered together. They now have an opportunity to witness to them and explain to them. So one um, bolded disciple decides to stand up and talk about what's going on. Verse 14, Peter, one of the disciples, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my works. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the only the third hour to, to the day. So understand this, Peter, one who was close with Jesus, one who walked with Jesus, saw this happening, understands this is from God, and he takes a stand. Peter lets the people know that they are not drunk, but rather filled with the Spirit. So here we go. We're seeing the first sermon after Jesus has ascended. He said they can't be drunk because it's only the third hour, which will be 9 a.m. Now understand what Peter's doing here. Okay? Um, Peter is relating to the audience. Right? He's using logic. He's saying, listen, they can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Okay? And so he relates to the people. And so now that he's relayed, he's got their attention. Now he's going to proclaim the gospel. And so we see here the first part of this is a sermon of experience. And it comes from the prophet Joel. In verse 17 it says, In the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, shall, shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. 
everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is coming from the prophet Joel, which a lot of the Jews would have known, and he's proclaiming what's going to happen in the last days. Now, they believed, understand, they believed this was the final days. And it says, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And he says, sons and daughters. Now, up to this point, notice, even when Jesus chose men, but men were chosen to carry the gospel, and now he's saying, not just men, but sons and daughters, men and women, you're going to be God's disciples, and you're going to make more disciples with the Holy Spirit inside of you. Verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if we decide to keep this message, the gospel, to ourselves, how can they call on his name? How can they proclaim who God is if we're not sharing that? So Paul continues, and you read scripture, and then explains who this passage is directed at. Jesus Christ. Verse 22, the men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he talks for one of David's psalms, a sermon of praise. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter goes back to King David when he recognized what God had done for him. Now David lived for God. He also had sin in his life, as it's well documented. But he lived for God, and he always thanked God. Most of the Psalms was written by David, and he always praised God. But notice in verse 29, let's read this, it says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch of David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So confidence, Peter was not proclaiming a blind faith. Because listen to what he says here. Uh, verse 30. Before, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourself seeing and hearing. And so Peter is not talking about a blind faith here. He's not saying, you know, you just got to believe this because I'm saying so. He's saying with confidence, this is a seen faith. Faith. He saw the object of his faith. He said, this one that's proclaiming was Jesus. We just killed him. We put him on a cross. But he's the savior of the world and our faith needs to be found only in him. He's proclaiming a seen faith. The same faith as Christians we have. It's not just something we've made up. It's not a blind faith. It's a seen faith, knowing what God has done in the past, what he's done in our life, and what he's going to accomplish in the future. So in verse 37, we see how the people respond. Now when they heard this, 
They were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. We know for the certain that Christ, the, Jesus, the Christ was Jesus whom crucified. He was the Savior. We don't have a blind, we don't live a blind faith. We live, a lot of times, a forgetful faith. And here's what I mean by that. We sometimes forget what Jesus has done. We forget that he's always with us. Or we ignore it. So when they're given this message by Peter, they're asking, what shall we do? And Peter cut straight to the chase. What shall we do? They're recognizing where they've fallen. They've recognized their sin. And he says, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Notice there's nothing fancy here. doesn't use an illustration. All he says is, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 40, he continues preaching as the, as the Lord is leading him, as the Spirit is leading him. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added. And notice the whole time, Peter boldly stands up and is just proclaiming truth. He's like, God has called us to this. And he's obedient, and 3,000 souls were added. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can just imagine right now being gathered in a room, probably not much bigger than this, I understand that, but people were outside as well, and 3,000 people walk up and say, I'm a follower of Christ. So Peter kept going, kept preaching. 3,000 souls were added. But here's what I'm going to end on today. As I said earlier, church is something that we do, not who we are. But look what they did in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing it, the proceeds to all, as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So notice, not only did they come to know Christ, but the church devoted themselves to teaching, to breaking of bread, and prayers. Their devotion, their faith was who they were, not something that they did. They did it together. They did this on a daily basis. And don't think that they didn't have jobs and responsibilities as well. Okay, they had those. But notice, their devotion was to their faith. Daily, they were teaching. They were breaking bread together. They were praying. Their total reliance was on God. And so in verse 43, the Spirit was moving daily. Notice in verse 44 that the body is unified. They're doing this together, and they're seeing God do wonderful things. And so they're staying together. They're doing what God has called them to do. There's people coming to Christ at, the, at a fast rate. Uh, faster than we've seen any time in history, and they're in one accord, and they're going out, and they're seeing all these things happen, and they're giving credit 
to God. Look at what happens when the church is being the church. Let's bow our heads. Hopefully this was challenging to you guys, and I want you guys to really think, where are you? Where are you on this? Because I believe all of us fall short. The Bible says that. For all, for all fall short of the glory of God. But thanks to Jesus, God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, there's a way to heaven. There's a way to salvation only found through Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you tonight or today do not know who Jesus Christ is. And I pray today that God has spoken to you and you know you need to have a relationship with Him. Maybe you're somebody who's newer to your faith and you, you know what God's called you to do. You know you're supposed to go out and make disciples, but you're struggling with it. Here in a minute when I pray, I want you to pray that God will lead you and that you will rely on God more. Maybe you're somebody who's had faith for a very, very long time, but you've come complacent. You're complacent to be where God has you currently. You're complacent to just come and to, uh, to come to church, but you're not really being the church. I pray God challenges you and challenges all of us to be the church, to accept the challenge, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and see a revival take place. Father God, we're so thankful to have the opportunity to be here this morning. I know for some of us in here, it's been challenging to even come in this morning, whether we were tired, whether we know we got stuff going on in our lives and the busyness in our lives. It was probably hard for us to choose to come together today and to worship. And Lord, I'm so, I'm so thankful that we had the opportunity to come together and to hear this message, not for what I had to say, but for what you had to say. Lord, you gave us a command in your word to go to all nations, here locally, to the nation, to the other nations, and proclaim your word that Jesus Christ is Lord. And not only just doing that, but discipling them. Lord, we know and we love to proclaim that we are Christians and we're following after you. But I pray that if we get to that point where we're thinking this is just inconvenient for me, that we choose to follow you. There isn't an inconvenience. All you've called us to do is be obedient and you take care of the rest. Lord, I pray there's people in here today who do not know you. I pray right now that your spirit speaks to them. Lord, I pray right now they come to know you, that they admit they're a sinner. They admit that what, what they're doing in their life is sinful, but Lord, I pray that they put their faith in you knowing you can take away all that sin in their life. Lord, I also pray right now that that's not just, they don't stop there. That we're filled with your spirit and we're going out and we're proclaiming the world. We're proclaiming the gospel to others, to know what Christ has done, what he's done in our lives, and what he's going to continue to do, and the promises that he has given us. Lord, we need you now more than ever. We pray right now that you show up in a big way in our lives, from the youngest in here to the oldest in here, that you renew our minds and our hearts daily to follow after you. You allow us to take our cross daily and follow you, and to go out and proclaim your gospel like you called us to do. Lord, I pray right now as we respond that you speak to our hearts. I pray today that everybody in here heard you. I pray that in here today that they saw the importance of following you with everything they have and going out and living it. Lord, we're so thankful. Even when we forget to think about what you've done for us, I pray right now we remember it and respond accordingly. Lord, Jamie, pray. Amen. You guys stand.
as we'll end with a worship song tonight and today, and then we were going to be, just take this time to respond.